Exodus 27, the title, you know, so the, the title of this series is what? Rescue God's Glory in Exodus. But I told you, as we're kind of slowing down the pace and focusing on the Ten Commandments, these are kingdom rules. This is how God means for his people, his rescued people, to live with him as king. No greater name. That is the title. So kingdom rules, no greater name. We're on the what commandment? Number three, the first half deal with the vertical, our relationship with God. The second half, our relationship with each other. The big idea is this. Lift up his name reverently and represent his name faithfully. Lift up his name reverently and represent his name faithfully. And we'll talk about that here shortly. Um, I want you to imagine with me. Let's start with this. Imagine someone slandering your spouse or one of your parents. Are you imagining? Do you like it? Of course not. How would you feel? How would you feel? Angry, upset? Again, what's being said about that person, whether it's your spouse or another beloved family member, what's being said is false information. Why would you care? Why would you care? The guilty party is not actually harming them physically. Yes, but they're damaging their reputation. And furthermore, their name is directly tied to who they are. An attack on their name is an attack on them, right? That's why we care. The question I want us to think about this morning is this. Do we feel this way about the Lord when his name is slandered, uh, misrepresented or abused. So Exodus 27, one more time. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's start with this. What's in a name? What's in a name? Let's talk about the significance of the Lord's name. Uh, I've quoted this scholar a, a few times. He was one of my professors in grad school. Doug Stewart, in his commentary on Exodus, he writes, Yahweh's name signified his essence. In any culture, modern or ancient, a name is a verbal symbol for a person or thing. And the ancients, in particular, obviously appreciated the way names connoted the very value, character, and influence of a person or thing. So, in Hebrew culture, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, one's name and their identity, their, their personhood, their character were inseparable. The name meant something. And in many cultures today, maybe not so much ours, but in many cultures today, like when I lived in Africa, you, you, I mean, they didn't just give out their name. It, it was almost like, if I'm going to give you my name, we're going to enter into some type of relationship. That was significant, right? Whereas today, it's like, hey, my name's so-and-so. All right, see you later. Now, we see this, the importance of a name, everywhere in the Bible. To praise his name is to praise who? It's to praise God, right? To praise his name is to praise God. Because his name reveals who he is and what he does. Or as Alistair Begg writes, his name... Oh, I should have done the accent, but I'm not. His name... It just sounds so much better... His name reveals his essence and his works. You know, you think about some of the names of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord our provider, uh, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. So, so you see the, the correlation there, who God is and what he, what he does. Now, <laughs> I take out several examples. I got a little carried away, so I, I got three. Here's some more examples. Psalm 8.1, which we read this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, wouldn't we say how majestic are you, God? But the name stands for the person. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his, what? His holy name. So to bless his name is to bless him, because the name represents him. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. Now, this is cool. Throughout Scripture, 
the Lord graciously reveals His glory by giving His, His name. His glory and His name go hand in hand. So, when you think about the Lord's name in the Bible, we must learn to think His essence and His glory. Everybody say His essence and His glory. All right, we got that. All right, so <clears throat> let's go back to Exodus 3. We see this especially in Exodus 3. What happens in Exodus 3? This is when things really get kind of kicked off in the book of Exodus, right? God appears to Moses in a, a burning bush, and we call that a theophany. A theophany just means, it's a fancy word, it means a visible manifestation of God, right? So before the incarnation, before Jesus, God appeared throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes in fire, okay? So what's God doing? Well, he reveals his glory in Exodus 3. He reveals his personal and powerful presence, and he reveals his, his name, it's really significant. So the use of fire, the use of fire, because again, God is revealing his name and then he's showing us something about his character, who he is. So the use of fire, which is common of the Lord's merciful revelation of himself throughout scripture, but the use of fire is significant. What do you think that means that God would show up in fire? Remember back in Exodus 19 and 20? We're, we're in 20 right now, but in 19, they come to Mount Sinai and what happens? God shows up, and on the mountain, he appears in the form of... That was my fire sound. The image of fire applied to the Lord reveals his power, his holiness, and his wrath. This God is not to be trifled with. As Vern Poitras writes, fire expresses God's kingship. It shows that he acts in power to purify his people, and destroy the king's enemies. Now, in the context of theophany, what's a theophany? It's a visible manifestation of God. God reveals his name. And what name does he give in Exodus 3? Let's read Exodus 3, 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am. I am who I am. <laughs> and he said, say this, to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, what's going on here, right? So God basically unveils, reveals his rescue plan, and Moses is in awe. He's on holy ground, and the question arises, well, when I go and tell the people that you sent me, what's your name again? <laughs> who are you? And God says, I, I am. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Philip Ryken notes, the name that God revealed was his personal name, Yahweh, sometimes called the Tetragrammaton. In Hebrew, because it consists of four letters. Now, in Hebrew, it's Yod, Hey, Wa, Hey. In English, it's Y H W H. Literally, God's name means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Reichen goes on to say it speaks of God's self existence, self sufficiency, and supreme sovereignty. It's a lot of that's more alliteration than I tend to give. As the events of the Exodus unfolded, it also testified to his saving power. The Israelites learned from their deliverance that the God who revealed his name to Moses is a God who saves. So God's name, so far, based on Exodus 3, speaks of his power, his holiness, his faithfulness, and his love. God reveals his character. At the same time, he reveals his name. One more time, God reveals his character at the same time he reveals his name so that his people will make the association. Do you guys remember when Michael Jordan started playing basketball? This is back in the kind of late 80s era, right? He dominated the game. I, I love him, Jay. I do. I, I mean, as a player, I, I just really enjoyed watching him as a kid play. But do you realize no one had seen anything like this, right? And people began to ask the question, who is this guy? What's his name. And very soon his name began to be associated with greatness. And even today, I mean, if you're at the top of your game or whatever you do, if you're the best of the best salesman, 
the best worker, people will say, you're the Michael Jordan of that, right? Because his name began to be associated with greatness. We see it again in Exodus 33, 18 to 19. Listen to this. I wish I had this on the screen. But listen carefully. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, God said, in response to that question, that request, God, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And what is his name? The Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? The Lord says to Moses, okay, so if you're taking notes, you can just write like dash hyphen, I will make all my goodness pass before you, okay? And then right after that, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So what's the association? God's goodness with his what? His name. Again, tied to God's glory and his righteous, awesome, and good character is his name. As Kevin DeYoung writes, God shows himself by speaking his name. Now, let's go to the New Testament. This is really cool. Okay, so we see this with Jesus in Mark 6, verse 45, when he walks on water. Have you ever wondered why Jesus walked on water? Why did he do that? Why did Jesus walk on water? Well, when he does that, and I'll give you a little context here, he reveals his power, his authority, and his mission. You're thinking his mission? Yeah, because... Water, especially the sea, the sea, the chaotic sea in the Hebrew world represented what? Evil and wickedness. And what is Jesus doing? He's walking on it. Do you know in ancient times there were pictures when they wanted to depict a king's authority, his power, oftentimes there'd be a picture of a king with his heel lifted up and his enemies below him, right? And that represented what? Conquering, victory, power over. And Jesus is just walking on water. It revealed why he came. He came to defeat evil. He came to rescue, amen? And in that context where he reveals his power, his authority over nature, can you walk on water? I sink every time. But Jesus does it. And in that context, he gives us something. Let's read Mark 6, 48 to 51. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully. The disciples were struggling, for the wind was against them, right? They're on a boat. And about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. He meant to pass before them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. They should have been terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. Here's the Greek. Ego, me." What does that mean? I am Pulpit flip. Are you kidding me? What name? I am. In the context of him revealing his power, his authority, his mission, he came to defeat evil. He says what? Hey, go in me. I am. Don't be afraid. It's me. I am. <laughs> and he got into the boat with them, and the wind, what? It ceased. <clears throat> and again, they were utterly astounded. Notice the parallel language between Exodus 33 and Mark 6. In both places, the Lord passes before his people, revealing his glory, his goodness, and his saving character, all the while proclaiming his his name. So what's the association? His name. What do we know about him? He's powerful, he's authoritative, and he's a God who saves. What's the significance of the baptismal formula in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven. All what? All authority, all power, exousia. All power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, underline that, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is to attach oneself to the Lord. 
It's to say that I've given my allegiance to the one true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name represents the person, or here, the persons of God. One God, three persons. Baptism, who's been baptized? Baptism is going public with the Lord. It's making our allegiance known to the body of Christ. Number two, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Because that's really what we're talking about here. That's what we're not supposed to do, is to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, (laughs) the word for vanity here in Hebrew, this is helpful. Again, I told you my mind, the way it works, when you're learning a different language or languages, you know, there's only so much room up there. And so I had to think of ways where I could creatively make these associations. So the word vanity is shawah. And I thought, well, if I'm profaning God's name, I better take a shawah because I'm spiritually dirty. Shawah. It wasn't very good, was it? All right. The word for vanity here means unnecessarily or idly. To lift up, listen, this is really important. This is God's word, okay? We, we need to, I want to know what this means, right? I mean, if this is commanded of God, don't do this, don't take my name in vain. What does that mean? To lift up the Lord's name in vain means to misuse his name. Such a name. Such a name. A, a name, the name that is above all names should never be used unnecessarily, but always, always, always always, intentionally, and with reverence. Amen? Because he's worthy. And there's no name like his name. Tim Chester writes, the word vain can also mean falsely. Do not carry God's name in a way that damages his reputation. He goes on to write, have you ever damaged God's reputation through what you have done or said? Or what you have not done or said? Here's what I'm going to do now. I want to look at four common ways that we misuse or take the Lord's name in vain. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing is, and I think this is probably the most common, speaking it carelessly. Oh, don't we do that? We speak the Lord's name carelessly. To take the name of the Lord in vain is to speak the Lord's name disrespectfully. The third commandment, now listen to this, the third commandment is violated when we speak frivolously of God's name, carelessly throwing it around or using it in the punchline of a joke. Are we forbidden from using God's name? Say it in Spanish. No. But rather, we are warned against making God's name too common. I think we do that, don't we? We make his name too common. DeYoung writes, the God of the universe, the one who is that he is, should not have his name tossed about flippantly as an expression of shock, outrage, or anger. T. Desmond Alexander, he writes, this commandment covers more than blasphemy or foul language. It prohibits any use of the divine name that would detract from how God is perceived. One more time. It prohibits any use of the divine name that would detract from how God is perceived. Wisdom. Now, again, when I say wisdom, you say, what comes to mind when you hear wisdom, biblical wisdom? Fear. Fear of who? Fear of the Lord. Wisdom in the word of God is consistently expressed as the what? The fear of of the Lord. Now, pay attention, please. Don't miss this. Those who revere, those who fear, those who revere the Lord, honor his name because his name represents him, as we've already seen. Many Christians have made the name of the Lord far too common. Even Christians can be heard shouting, my God, Lord, help me. And I, I honestly, I, I debated what I even use as an example. But haven't you heard that? My blank. Blank, help me. And they say that in frustration or jest. How dare we? And maybe you're thinking, Chris, you sound very legalistic. I don't think so. And if I do, I don't apologize for that. I'm not trying to be legal. I want to be biblical. 
I want to honor my Lord. I want us to honor the Lord. Amen? I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a story in a minute. It's kind of funny. Um, This is not funny, by the way, but the story is. How dare we one moment lift up the name of the Lord in praise, and with the very next breath, in the very next moment, we use his name in an expression of anger or frustration. This show of irreverence is an explicit violation of the third commandment. I believe it is. So here's the story. My boys, Clark and Luke, (laughs) if someone's been at our house and they've not represented his name well, maybe they say it like, my blank, or blank have mercy, they will correct them. They've done that. They've done it with family. (laughs) And I'm thankful for that because they know that in our house we revere the name of the Lord. Amen? To take the Lord's name in vain is to dishonor the king. And shouldn't we want to honor the king, friends? Why? Because he's what? He's worthy. As Christians, are you a Christian? Or as one of my professors said, a Christian. He wanted to emphasize Christ. If you're a Christian, right, as Christians, we should care about the Lord's honor and glory more than anything else. This is our new MO, our our modus operandi as believers. When that name is dishonored, when the name of our king is dishonored, it should move us to righteous indignation. It should break our hearts. Here's the second way we take the Lord's name in vain. Number two, B, making false promises in his name. I swear to blank, right? We misuse the Lord's name when we make false promises by invoking his name. And this was one of the the primary applications of the third commandment. It was, okay? Alistair Begg writes, The most basic prohibition in this third commandment concerns taking God's name and attaching it to a statement that is false. This is Leviticus 19.12. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. This is Numbers 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord, he must do everything he said, because when he doesn't, what is he doing? He's taking the Lord's name in vain. When we make vows, this is Alistair Begg, when we make vows and break them, we take God's name in vain. God is always true to himself. He always keeps his word. For us to employ his name in the interest of falsehood is to misuse his name. Number three, Again, another common way we take the Lord's name in vain. C, which is the third, (laughs) false teaching in his name. Oh, false teaching in his name. Related to this is false prophecy or heretical teaching. Who's ever heard false teaching attached to Jesus? What is that? That is taking the Lord's name in vain. We misuse the Lord's name when we attach his name to false doctrine. When a false prophet uttered, thus saith the Lord, they were portraying God as a liar, for their word did not have God as its source. They were slandering his character by proclaiming falsehood in his name. Is there anything more vile or serious than this? This is why, listen, this is good, this is context. This is why the commandments must be read together. The second commandment calls us to do what? To worship God according to according to God's word. That was all last week. I hope you got that, right? This must inform both who we worship and how we worship. So the second commandment calls us to worship according to the Bible, God's word. <clears throat> His word, again, must inform who we worship and how we worship. Now, when someone attaches the name of of the Lord to their teaching, we, what's our responsibility? We must always test it according to the the Bible. We violate the third commandment when we use the Lord's name to promote our own agenda rather than his. This is akin to idolatry. The feeble attempt to try and control God and use him for our selfish purposes. Here's the fourth thing, and honestly, this is probably the second most common. What was the first one? What was A? Say it again. What? 
Okay, I, man, that was a cacophony. I didn't hear any of you guys. That's okay. That's probably my ears. I'm getting older. The, the last one is this, hypocritical living. I think people, we, we tend to use his name too commonly, but I think a lot of us, we, we take his name in vain by not representing his name well, as those who claim to have his name attached to us. Right? I mean, if you're a Christian, you're saying what? I've attached his name to me. I'm going to bear that name. It's the, it's the new family name, and there's a lot to be said about adoption here. We violate the third commandment when we fail to represent the name that marks us. And if you're a Christian, you're saying, I'm now marked by Christ. In calling, our, I mean, in calling ourselves Christians, goodness, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm, you know, I'm sleeping around, I'm, I'm getting drunk on the weekends, I don't gather with the body, I lie and I cheat, but I'm a Christian. This is violating the third commandment. In calling ourselves, don't just don't, don't call yourself that, please. In calling ourselves Christians, we are claiming to belong to and represent the King of Kings. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to sin. I'm a sinner. I'll, I'll raise my hand first. But by God's grace, I hate my sin. I don't want to live in it any longer. I long for the day when I am morally perfect. But for someone who says I'm a Christian, but they love their sin, they celebrate their sin. Friends, our failure to represent the name of the Lord amounts to hypocrisy and the violation of the third commandment. Let's look at Alistair Begg one more time. He was good here. Begg defines hypocrisy as worship marked by unreality. It's a really good definition. Worship marked by unreality. Does our activity, our way of life, our words, our practices, our parenting, our marriage correspond to the name we've attached to ourselves. One more time. Does our activity, our way of life, our words, our practices, our parenting, our marriages, our membership in the local church correspond to the name we've attached to ourselves? We say we're Christians, but is our behavior and are our words Christ-like? Think about... Come on, parents, you, you, can, you can identify with this. You can relate. Your kid gets in trouble. Hey, there's grace at school, right? You get called in, but it happens every week. Every week it continues to happen, and a parent's going to say, listen, bud, I love you, but you know, you're a tailor. Represent that name well. That's, that's our family name. And, and when you keep making bad decisions, you're, you're basically taking that name and you're what? You're, you're rubbing it in the mud. I mean, don't you guys care about your name? How much more should we care about the name Jesus, Christ, that marks those of us who have said yes to him? Don't you care about his reputation? I do, don't we? Our name means something, but his name means everything. As Christians, we bear the family name. Amen? Isn't that cool? We bear the family name. Are we representing that name well? So in baptism, I mean, baptism is pretty significant, right? In baptism, we go public in our connection with the name of the Lord. Let's make sure, church, that we're bearing that name well. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. Therefore, we who claim to be Christians must be careful how we live so as to honor that name, that most worthy name. Number three, let's get into the text here, okay? It's one verse. There's a lot here. Number three, what grounds the third commandment, and what does this teach us about God? The text says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God demands, and he can because he's God, but God demands to be honored and revered. To misuse his name is to incur guilt. And this is serious, right? I mean, God is not to be trifled with. Do you fear him? You don't fear his judgment. Anyway, if you're a Christian, 
that judgment has been born. It's been received in someone else. Who's that? Who took that judgment for us? Jesus, right? But he's still the king. Every knee is going to bow down one day. I mean, can you imagine that? Your, your neighbors, or, or maybe like me, you have some family that don't know Jesus, and, and they kind of mock and make fun of But one day, that king is going to appear in glory for all to see, and every knee is going to bow down. He's not to be trifled with. Doug Stewart writes, To hold guiltless connotes letting someone get away without punishment. And that is expressly what Yahweh will not do if his name is misused. This is serious. I think when we go through the Ten Commandments, we kind of leave that out. Right? Don't misuse God's name. Don't take it in vain. Why? Well, the text says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So, Christians who dismiss the third commandment have dismissed an important aspect of God's character, namely his what? His justice. The Lord must, because he's just, punish what? Wrongdoing. Just because we're saved and God's justice has been satisfied through the sacrifice of his son does not give his people, his church, a license to live and speak carelessly, right? Now, let's go to Old Testament. According to Israel's civil law, the punishment for blasphemy was, was death. Leviticus 24, 16. Now, what is the parallel to that in the new covenant community, the church? Church discipline. Church discipline. When the Lord's name is blasphemed by a believer... Steps, even difficult and uncomfortable steps, must be taken. Really, the third commandment is at the heart of every case of church discipline. How? Because the name of the Lord is at stake. Now, again, if, if we just let, if we don't care, you know, hey, listen, you do what you want, church, live how you want to live. Is that going to honor the Lord? If people just go and do what they want to do, but, but claim to be followers of Christ, sleeping around, getting drunk, lying, not gathering. Who's dishonored by that? Whose name do we represent? Christ's. When we do discipline as a church, why do we do it? Because we care about his name, amen? We care about his reputation. We care about his honor and fame. And we care about those individuals as well. And we want them to honor that name. We want them to represent that name well. We care about his reputation. And so when those within the church mar his reputation by living contrary to the word of God, we must seek to discipline them. It's our love for our God and his name that must motivate church discipline. Amen? Why do we do it? Because we love God and we love his name. We care about his honor. It's not a witch hunt, by the way. We're not like, oh, who can we get? No, that's not. We're all sinners here. But if if someone continues to live in unrepentant sin and yet claim to be a follower of Christ because we care about his name more than anything else, we have to go after them. And that doesn't mean we're going to like headlock. It means we're going to pursue them in love with the word of God open, calling them, begging them to repent and honor that name and represent it well. Amen? And when they, at the end of the day, say, I don't want to, then we say, well, then we have to treat you like an unbeliever. Therefore, we're not going to evangelize you. But you can't take the Lord's Supper with us. Does that make sense? Because the Lord's Supper is for those who bear that name well. I didn't say perfectly, did I? Don't misunderstand me. Number four. Okay. Can we use God's name as Christians? Of course we can. So number four, when is it appropriate to use the Lord's name? Three things here. This is in your notes. Prayer, praise, and evangelism. Christian maturity demands that we speak the name of the Lord in the context of prayer, Praise and evangelism, when it's appropriate. So let's quickly revisit the question. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? This is related to, it's related to our singing and our praying. We, we treat the Lord's name meaninglessly when we simply sing songs on Sunday without giving much thought to what we're singing and who we're singing to. Right? We're just kind of like going through the motions. I mean, is that honoring the Lord? Should we be engaged when we're singing to the one true God of the universe? What do you think, church? 
Yes. I love the Psalms. I, lo- I cherish the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of prayers, songs. They're an anthem of praise inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by God's people to be sung and prayed in the assembly of God's people. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Psalm 96, 1, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. We declare His name in corporate worship every Lord's Day when we gather. We sing of His awesome character and His saving work. We praise the Lord. How about prayer? Oh man, this is easy. It's easy if we're not careful to say the Lord's name over and over in prayer, to invoke his name in prayer without really thinking about what we're saying. We must apply our minds when we pray in order to be careful in how we pray, right? I mean, what if someone's having a, Dave, hey, Dave, 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 Dave. Dave, Dave, Dave. I mean, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? Are you even talking to me? But I think we do that sometimes when we pray. Like, our mind is not engaged. We're just kind of saying the same thing over and over. We're talking to God. He's really real. He's alive. Amen? Amen. Be careful how you pray. And where should we go? What should inform our prayers? The? Okay. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now, again, I get that's not a word that we typically use. When was the last time you used hallowed outside of praying the Lord's Prayer? I don't know, right? But what does it mean? We're praying, God, may your name be regarded as holy. May your name be regarded as holy. Did you catch it, Jesus? Did you catch what Jesus said? Pray for God's name. Hallowed be your what? Did you catch it? I don't know if you did. Pray for God's name to be hallowed or made holy or honored. But should we pray for God to be made holy or honored? Al Mohler writes, God's name is essentially shorthand for God himself. The name stands for the person. We are instructed to address God in prayer. When we pray, and because of Christ, the Son of God, we can now address God as his children. We have the privilege in Christ of addressing the Father in prayer. If Jesus is your Savior, God becomes your Father. Amen? Oh. But how should God's children address God in prayer? We are instructed by Jesus to call out to God in prayer and to specifically pray that his name be regarded as as holy. Therefore, when we pray, we must treat the name of the Lord as holy. We must pray reverently and not casually. How do you prepare for Sundays? Somebody tell me, how do you prepare for Sundays? Well, Chris, I wake up and I have breakfast and I get the kids dressed and I get dressed and that's not what I mean. I recently spoke with Chris. This was last year. I remember having this conversation in the bathroom. Guys have great conversations in the bathroom. We do. I mean, it's like a two-minute window, but it's a great time to catch up and you're washing hands. You know, hey, what did God teach you this week? But we talked about this last year. I remember that, brother. Do you make sure, and here's why I'm, I'm saying this, do you make sure in preparation for Sunday to get adequate rest so that you can engage your heart and your mind in singing to who? To the Lord. Is that a significant time? I mean, Friends, we gather like this once a week on the Lord's Day. And I want to gather well, don't you? So get rest. Is Pastor Thomas to get sleep? Yeah. Get rest so that you can make the most of this opportunity. Praying the word, hearing the word, singing the word. The third commandment is a call. It is a call to be intentional in our worship. It really is. It's a call to be intentional in our worship specifically when we gather with each other every Lord's Day. In order to make sure that our singing, our praise, and our prayers are truly honoring to the Lord, we must make sure that His Word, the Bible, is informing both what we sing and what we say in prayer. How about evangelism? So we've talked about, what, praise and prayer. 
These are appropriate contexts for speaking the Lord's name. When else is it appropriate? When we're proclaiming him, right? Evangelism. Dude. I said dude, sorry. But dude, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other what? No other name. It is imperative that we honor the name of the Lord by proclaiming it to the world around us. How do we honor God's name? By making it known. Amen? And think of it this way, man. Like, you have friends and coworkers and classmates. Who's excited to go back to school? Okay, good. Parents are like, yes. No, hopefully not. Hopefully you enjoy time with your kids this summer. But we all know people who right now, rather than raising their hands to God or shaking their fists at God, saying, I'm king, I don't want you. Oh, give them the name. Proclaim to them the name that is above all names. Tell them the name of Jesus and what he did to save sinners like them. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died at the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. And then three days later, he rose, proving all his claims to be true. A way really has been made for sinners to be reconciled to God. Just trust in Jesus. Amen? It is imperative that we honor the Lord's name by making it known to those around us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, verse 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Oh, verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise, amen? So proclaim that name so that others can call on that name, right? I mean, it's like saying, hey, listen, you're sick and dying. Here's the cure. Go get it. Hey, you're dead spiritually. Jesus can save you because of what he did. Call out to him. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to forgive you and to come into your life. Make him Lord. Trust in him and what he did. I mean, don't you want to see people call out to Jesus? Well, then what do we have to do? We've got to proclaim Jesus, that name. Amen? Who's committed to doing that? Let's go. Right now, seriously, let's go. Where are we going? Number five. How does the third commandment point to Jesus? Now, this is really cool. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, and elsewhere, right? We saw that in John 6.45, but you also see it in Mark's Gospel. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, takes on the name of the Lord. He is God. He is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus fulfills the third commandment. Multiple times in John's Gospel, Jesus takes on the divine name, I Am. How many I Am sayings are there in John's Gospel? There's seven. And every time Jesus, I wrote a study on this, every time Jesus does that, he reveals both who he is and what he came to do. When he says, I'm the bread of life, that's really, I came to give you spiritual nourishment, right? I came so that you would hunger no more. I'll fulfill you forever. I'm the light of the world. You're in darkness, but I came to give you life. I'm the resurrection of life. You're dead, but I can make you alive. Oh, I'm the good shepherd. Man, all those other leaders, man, read Ezekiel, they failed. But I've come to gather my sheep. I got you. Oh! So what is Jesus doing? I am, I am, I am, I am. John 6, John 8, John 10, John 10, John 11. John 14, the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He's revealing God to us and making a way to God for us. Amen? Jesus takes on the name because he is God. John 1.18, I've quoted this, I think, three times in the last three weeks. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. Who represented the name perfectly for us? Jesus. John 14.9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 17.6, I have manifested your name. Oh, Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. <laughs> Jesus came to reveal God. It's my last Alistair Begg quote. 
Jesus is declaring that by his words and his life and his character, the fullness of the Godhead has lived in bodily form. Jesus is Lord. The name of God is rightfully applied to the Son of God, the one who has existed eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit and who was sent to reveal God and rescue God's people. Amen? Now what is, and I alluded to this earlier, but what does Paul teach us in Philippians 2 about his name? Man, Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Do you know what this describes? This is the great climax of redemptive history. This is where all history is headed, my friends. And what is it? It's every single person acknowledging the name that is above all names. There is no greater name. So let's make sure, church, that we are honoring that name. Again, think about the title Christian. We are known, if you're a Christian, you are known by your association with who? With Christ. We attach that name to ourselves. We bear that name. Think about adoption. When a child is adopted into a family, they get a new what? They get a new name. If you've been adopted into God's family by trusting in Jesus, you get a new name. Therefore, honor that name and represent that name well. At his name, demons flee. At his, knee, at his name, every knee will bow down. Therefore, we who know his name and have come to identify with it must use it appropriately, prayer, praise, and evangelism, and must revere the name of our Lord. As Christians, don't we care about the reputation of our king? Don't you care? We care about his name. We want his name to be honored. Why do we do church discipline? We care about his name. Why do we disciple fellow believers? Because we, we care about his name. Why do we evangelize the lost? Because we, we care about his name. In his name, God is revealed. We see that throughout scripture. Is his name and the honor of his name at the center of all that you do? How we treat the name of the Lord is a litmus test for our spiritual maturity. If you don't use that name well, if you use it casually, man, it speaks to where you're at spiritually. Do you know that God's name's a gift? Who likes gifts? We talked about this last Sunday. We love to give them and receive them. Probably receive them more, right? Do you know that God's name is a gift? It is clear, his name is clear evidence of his grace and his will to make himself known. For that is what a name does. And friends, you know, in most cultures other than ours, that name, a name is given in the context of friendship. God gives us his name because he wants to be our what? He wants to be our friend. One's name gets at their personality, their character, their person, and their essence. In giving us his name, God has given us of himself. He has condescended to us. He has made himself known. When Christ came, he said what? I am. Again, what grace that the Lord would so clearly make himself known. As we learned in the Lord's Prayer, we, through faith in Christ, have the unique privilege of addressing God intimately in prayer. If we belong to the Son, if the Son is your Savior, then God becomes your, becomes your Father. Who likes to be embarrassed? Nobody, right? Have you ever said someone's name in a crowd, thinking that was the person, only to realize that's not who they were? Hey, bro, hey, Bob, Bob, what's up? Oh, not, not you, I gotta go. It's like, that's not who I thought it was. That's embarrassing. I don't know you, right? Bill, Bill. who? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I thought you were someone else. They don't respond to the name you give them. Why? They don't know you. Do you know it's gonna be the same with the Lord? Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
That's sobering. God's revealed will in Scripture is that we trust in His Son, Jesus, for salvation. Amen? And guess what? When Jesus becomes your Savior, God becomes your, becomes your Father. Outside of Jesus, there is no forgiveness. There's no life. If we belong to Jesus, if we have trusted in Him alone for salvation, salvation from sin, salvation from the forever wrath of God that all of us deserve, then we can speak to God, and he hears us. In Christ, if you belong to Christ, in Christ we now have the Father's ear. We can invoke his holy name. Amen? Oh. But when's the first time? Do you remember the first time you called out to him? Hopefully, <laughs> it was when you called out to him for rescue. When you came to that point by God's grace, when the Spirit, through hearing the gospel, made you alive to see, I'm, I'm dead without him. I'm hopeless without him. I can do nothing to save myself. Only Jesus. Jesus, will you save me? I was 12. I heard the gospel for the first time. I called out to Jesus for help. I said, save me. And that began an incredible, eternal relationship. And because Jesus is my Savior, I can now call God Father. Have you called out to Jesus for rescue? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you acknowledged that you're not a good king, that only he's king? Call out to him today if you've not. And if you know people, friends, in your relational world that, that don't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, go to them and declare to them that name, that name that is above all names, that name, the only name by which we might be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Amen? Three practice steps. Write them down, and I'm going to pray. Number one, honor the name of the Lord by living like Christ. Who wants to honor the Lord? Then live like Him. And we can by the Spirit. Number two, declare the name of the Lord to the lost. And number three, use the name of the Lord intentionally and carefully in the context of singing and praying. Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us here would understand that your name given to us in your word is a gift of your grace because in your name you reveal who you are and what you're like. We thank you for Jesus who fulfilled the third commandment, who bore the name perfectly, beautifully, so that we might know you, God. We thank you for Jesus who is the great I Am, who left heavenly glory and came to a broken world, a rebellious world, and died and rose again to save sinners like us. And I pray, Father, for everyone in this room who has attached themselves to you, who has given their allegiance to you, who has said, by grace, I, I take that family name and I'm going to represent it well. Help us, Lord, to do that in what we say and how we live. Help us to not use your name commonly or carelessly. Help us to be intentional in how we use your name in prayer and praise and evangelism. Father, I pray that your name would go forward that we be bold heralds and declarers of your name, your word, but your name. Jesus, who lived the life we cannot live and died the death we deserved and rose again to save sinners like us. Help us to declare that name. Help us to live in light of that name. Help us to honor that name. Because, Jesus, you're worthy. We thank you that you are our king. We gather this morning to honor you. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. Amen.